If not, if you have a Bible this morning and you'll read along with our scripture reading, we're going to take a reading from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 29. Excuse me, I'm struggling with allergies this morning, so can't seem to clear my throat today. Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're going to do something a little different than normally. Um, Normally I, I read the entire text and then we go back and make comments about it and um, point things out. But this morning I'd like to go uh, somewhat verse by verse and um, as, as we look at these scriptures today, and we may read a little more later, but um, we want to confine our thoughts this morning to start out in Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 29, and then we will jump into chapter 6 and read a few verses as well. So this is what it says in verse 29, it says, Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Now, I want to pause for a moment, and the title of our lesson this morning or our message today is Teaching Our Children. Teaching Our Children. And... As we look at the book of Deuteronomy and we consider what is going on in this book, it's important to note that I believe verse 29 is where Moses is setting a template for what he's going to say beginning in chapter 6, as far as I could tell, all the way to chapter 29. And so if you want a thesis statement, if you want a theme that Moses is providing us as to what is causing him to say What he's about to say, we're going to find it in verse 29 of chapter 5. Now, what has happened is that God has spoken directly to Israel from the mountain, and it has terrified the people. And so the people have made this request. They've said, Moses, what we would like is for you to go to God, you receive the commandments, and then come back and tell us what God has spoken Now we learn in verse 28 that God is satisfied with that arrangement and says, okay, then that's what I'll do. I'll speak to Moses and then he'll speak to you all, all the commandments and the statutes and the laws that I would have for you to follow. And then we pick up in chapter six, but I want us to notice in chapter 29, when God is conveying his thought or when he is about to set out all the commandments and statutes, that Moses is going to convey, he tells us what is in his heart. Listen to what he said. Oh, that there was such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Now I want you to know this morning, especially if you are a kid, and I think today we're going to, talk both towards parents and and, and children both. But I want to point out something that may seem obvious to some, but to others may not, and that is this. God has your best welfare in his mind. Everything about the word of God and the instructions that he gives us is meant ultimately for our welfare. Now notice I didn't say our temporary welfare, 
which we can often confuse, and that's why we often attribute God with perhaps some malicious intents for us, is because we'll experience things or things will happen to us which appear initially to be not for our welfare. But as the Bible reiterates over and over, those things which initially sometimes see to harm us, God, as Joseph reveals in Genesis chapter 15, those things which man may intend for our harm, God may intend for our good. And so notice even the language that God uses when he's speaking to Moses, when he's almost, it's a form of a plea. He's saying, oh, that there was such a heart in them. I don't know about you, but when I hear language, either in a book or in a, a, a song that we sing, or when somebody's talking, they preface their comments, oh, that this would be the case, as though it's a longing. And notice at the end of, of verse 29, the reason for it, he says this, that they would, excuse me, uh, verse 29, that it might be well with them and their children forever. I want you to know this morning that God's desire for our welfare is perpetual. Sometimes I think about this, and I think being at this church perhaps prompts this thought more than it ever has. This church has, in some part, been around since 1795. Do you think those people thought about us 2021, almost 22 now? Like, think of how long, how many generations have been involved passing down truth. How many of the decisions they made in 1795 that we have histories about, that we read about, that we consider the consequences of what they've done, have now impacted us over 200 years later. And yet God's desire in his heart is that your posterity, not only just your children, but your children's children, and after that, and after that, and far generations long past that, God desires for the well-being of all of your offspring forever. And yet, he tells us here that it is conditional. There are conditions that we must meet before wellness can happen to generations after us. But I want to establish this morning that it is in God's heart. And I want you to know if you are a young person today, I can say with all confidence in this church that it is the, our united desire for your welfare. We're spending a considerable amount of time and energy on Wednesday nights, and we're dealing with subjects that are largely meant to benefit our young people. Because what we recognize is this, the things that we have formerly faced are not as much of the, the obstacles that we face today in our culture, and yet what we can see, the distance that our country is going towards certain, certain immoralities and certain struggles and stumbling blocks, we can recognize that if things continue on the trajectory they're on, that our young people are going to have a tremendous battle before them that we've never experienced before, and so as a church, we are uniting together on Wednesday nights in an attempt to address issues that, albeit are uncomfortable, 
Bible, albeit raised a lot of questions in our own hearts, albeit have not necessarily been taught in times past to this, uh, in the same explicit manner and to the same degree that they're being taught now. And yet as a church, we're uniting together because we're saying, we want you to be prepared when you face these things in the future on how you ought to conduct yourself and respond to people in those situations. We mean it for your welfare. Many of the things that you hear testified about and preached on, you may not know this, but are oftentimes what is in our hearts is you. And yet, Moses is going to give us some, some instructions here, and we're going to begin our reading, or continue our reading in chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, if you'll turn there. And he sets forth a template for parents, a template for grandparents, for churches, as he did this time for a nation. And I want us to pick up on some of these things. And if you're a parent or a grandparent, I want to cause you to, to think for a moment as we go through this. Ask yourself a couple questions. Number one is this. Do I do this? So if you're a parent or a grandparent, ask yourself, as, we're, as Moses is outlining for us, how that we can teach our children and pass on there, or, or pass on things that will be to their welfare. Ask yourself if you do that. And then here's the second thing. Accept the fact that right now you probably don't do some of it. Here's how Satan will oftentimes act in our hearts. We listen to a sermon of truth and we reflect on it and we think, I don't do that very well. I don't do that very well. I'm just terrible. And then we think, well, almost we feel at such a deficit we just want to give up. This one, that's not what we want you to do. You're an imperfect parent, if you didn't know that. And you will be tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. And as I reflect upon even my eight-year-old and the things that I did with him when he was a newborn, and then one, and two, and three, I look back and I have certain regrets, and I say, man, I wish I wouldn't have done that. And I wonder if some of the ways that he is today is not because of the ways that I treated him when he was three or four. And it causes me deep self-reflection. And if I'm not careful, it can get into a part of anxiety. And it can be, you can begin to, to, to really put yourself down to a place that is not healthy and profitable. Or what you can do is you can look back and say, Lord, I didn't realize what I did. Only by your grace can you undo the things that I have done. And teach me your ways in a form way that from this point on, I can mature to the point as a parent to do things right. In other words, don't be overladen with guilt to the extent that you want to give up. There are going to be some things we outline that you may not do sufficiently. Don't cause that to lead you to a bad place. This morning, here's how Moses starts this. He says in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. I, I was going to initially comment some on that, but I want to keep reading this morning for time's sake. It says this in verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shalt be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thine house and on thy gates. Now I think rightfully so, a lot of attention is given to verse 7. And we're going to go there here in just a minute. 
But I think what precedes verse 7 is integral for verse 7 to be effective. And what I mean is this. As a parent, particularly in our family, we homeschool. So the idea of teaching is constantly upon our minds. If you're involved in your children's education, then you're constantly thinking about, or if your child may be a little wily, like we've got some kids that are a little excitable. And sometimes when we're out in public, I think, okay, I got to teach them not to do that or not to say that. And so teaching is constantly on my mind with my children. But notice here, before Moses gets to the instruction, he first speaks directly to the generation that will be responsible for the instruction. And he says this, you need to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. All of the instruction in the world and the right ways of God cannot substitute for an example of a parent who loves God. How is that discernible? How do your kids discern that you love God? Well, we can certainly point out obvious ways. You come to church. You participate in church. You pray. You may have responsibilities in, in, in reference to the church. But I can point to somebody who doesn't have a fervent love for God that does all of those things. Actions is a part of it. Works is a part of it. But when we love something or when we love someone, is there not an intangible aura or sense around us that other people can discern not only by what we do, not only by what we say, but by the way we do it and the way we say it, by the tone, by the, the desires that come out in our heart, by the things that we talk about and the things that we don't talk about and the way that we talk about them, people can discern by the intangible things what we love and what we don't. And so notice here, Moses doesn't say, love the Lord by doing this, this, and this so that your children will see it. What he starts out by saying is, you, as an example, love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. If you go back to the Hebrew, that word all is translated in the Hebrew interlinear is utterly. Utterly with all of you, when I think of using such a descriptive word, I think of exhausting every part of you. You know, the best thing you can do for your children before that you teach them is love the Lord with all of your heart. Why? You see, when we love the Lord with all of our heart, it begins to do something to us. God begins to change and transform us inwardly. So that when we then begin to do things outwardly, it is from a transformed heart that has experienced the love of God. If it is merely us mirroring certain rules and regulations that God's word has put forward, and then like a lieutenant general, we're forcing our children to jump through hoops, and yet there is not a discernible sense that what the catalyst behind all of that is a genuine affection for God to glorify him and to express our love. Listen, children will discern that. It's amazing how perceptive children are, isn't it? The questions that they ask that when they read between the lines and you didn't think they noticed. 
children discern at a very young age whether our religiosity is based upon rule keeping or a genuine heartfelt affection for God. This morning, here, here is something, be careful with this because it can hurt. Ask your, ask your, ask your kids some questions. Don't try, to, don't try to influence them. Tell them you want an honest answer. Ask them a question like this. How do you know that I love the Lord? How do you know? It can cause, you know, it's the same as asking your spouse a question that's personal like that, is you may not recognize what you're emanating. Like the way that we process and analyze ourselves is different than the way that we're perceived. But sometimes what can be helpful is when somebody tells us the way we're perceived, it can help us trace back what's really in our heart. It can be a tough thing to swallow. One of the questions you ask you, how do you know I love the Lord? What's a good answer? It's something like this. I don't know. I could just tell. Like you do this and you do this and you do this, but there's, I, I just know you love the Lord. Here, Paul is telling us, or excuse me, not Paul, Moses is telling us. I don't think Paul was around back then. We've got to love the Lord with all of our being. The best thing we can do for our kids is be an example. I remember this story um, I thought about here during Sunday school. Um, the previous church that I pastored, I remember uh, over a series of a couple weeks, we were talking about serving the needy. So we talked about orphans and widows. We talked about the poor and the biblical instruction that our church has to go and reach those people. And then one day we went out to eat. I remember it was cold outside. We went out to eat. And as we were driving back, there was a guy with a sign. And Jetson was probably four, I don't know, four or five. He was maybe even younger than that. And I drove by this guy. And he said, Dad, why didn't you help that man like you said you would? Now, obviously, it's, we all know that situations like that can be complicated and not super easy to just say, hey, you take out your wallet and throw a 20 at everybody who needs it. But what it did cause me to reflect on is my son is hearing my instruction from the pulpit, but is he seeing it in my actions? Does he see me seeking out the poor and the needy and desiring to help them? Because those moments, paired with the instruction that Moses is going to give us, that's where the power lies, is when they see the words and principles that we project forward at them are in our hearts in a way that we serve God and that they're going to do those things or they're going to feel more compelled to do it or the lessons, as what verse 7 is going to tell us, will be more imprinted upon their hearts when they witness it. Here, I could go on and on about verse 5, but he says this, the best thing prior to your kid's instruction about the Lord is that you need to love him. You ever heard it said the best thing you do to help your children is to help yourself? That's what this verse is saying. You say, you know, my children don't love the Lord enough. They're still under my influence. Begin by cultivating a genuine affection for him yourself before that you try to push that and imprint that upon them. Let's continue. It says this. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. 
And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Word diligently there. A number of years ago, I taught a lesson on this exact word and this exact phrase. And um, the lesson was two hours long, so I'll get to the short of it here. All right? The word diligently. In Hebrew language, when that word was used historically, it was used in the context of if you were sharpening a blade, either farming, for agriculture, or, or for a, like a sword to fight. Now, we all know when you have a dull knife or a dull uh, instrument that you need to sharpen, you don't go in there with the item that you're going to use to sharpen it, and as hard as you da- possibly can, push down. It's not what you do, right? What you know is that there's power in the gentle but constant wetting of it over and over and over and over. The same places at the same times you're doing that. That's the nature of this word in this context. Now here's oftentimes what parents can be guilty of, especially in a culture that we go too fast. Is that at periods when they, kids embarrass us, kids do something in an improper place, We try to diligently teach them forcefully. Well, if you do that, if you've ever done that, if you've ever been sharpening a blade of something and you get to pushing too hard, have you ever cut yourself doing it? I have. Cut yourself. Or in other words, this. If you're trying to use force to train up a child in the way that they should go, you know what's going to happen? It's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt your child. There is a sense here, and notice how the verse is laid out. It tells us these words will be first in your heart, a heart that is set on loving God with everything. And then it says, when you're teaching your child, do it diligently, consistently, daily. And it continues going on in verse 7. Look what it says. And thou shalt talk of them, these commandments, when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In every avenue of your home, these commandments are a part of it. Here's the American Christian experience. Let's relegate Christian commandments to church and Sunday school and Wednesday night, and then we impose an assumed moral ideas at home based on those things, but we never explicitly in our home teach our children through the word. Let me give you an example. When you discipline your children and you're telling why something is wrong, have you ever thought about using the Bible in that case? Have you ever asked your child how they think God views what they've done? Not in a guilt-imposing, I'm trying to beat you down. But I mean in an instructional way. You're disciplining your child and they're coming to church and in your home they're learning of the things of God and now they're in violation of what God has taught. And so now in the, what's called in Latin, in the milieu, in the middle is what that means. That in the middle of life you're taking God's word and you're using that as an instrument of discipline. See, what it does is it teaches them that the things that we do here are so important that in the middle of life, those things are usable and effective. 
I'm, again, I want you to, I'm trying to be careful here this morning. I'm not saying we self-righteously cram scripture down our kids' throats when we're mad at them. I'm saying we use sin as a platform for the balm of God's word to help heal. Oftentimes, I think especially men, I don't know why that's the case, it's just my experience and my experience in my own life is a great, um, less hands-on approach teaching our children in that fashion. Oftentimes, because men have historically been in the workplace and women more often know what's going on with our children, there can be a detachment that occurs in the way that we discipline where we're the authoritarian and when dad's around, you better listen because he's got the strong arm and he's going to do the spanking. That's a dangerous thing if that strong arm does not coincide with a man who loves the Lord and is disciplining in an attempt to teach their child. Here, notice, everywhere this child is at, this person is instructing them in the commandments of God. Then notice, it's everywhere. Look at verse 9. Excuse me, verse 8. And thou shalt bind them, these commandments, for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and thy gates. Now, before we can comment on that, we've got to go to verse 6 where it says this, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So first of all, notice what Moses is saying. The instruction of God's word and how to live our lives, we study it and we live by it because it's in our hearts. We don't uh, perform sin because we know God's word or we strive not to perform sin because God's word is being daily through our own private study, through our own private meditation, between trying to go through the word of God and engraft those things into us that God has commanded. We do that consistently and not just in a a cursory way where we're trying to get our Bible reading done so we can move to the next checkpoint. But what we're doing is we're looking to the Word of God as a source of how to live life. And when we're doing that, it becomes part of our heart so that when we're going and living life and we're presented with situations and we're trying to respond to those situations, what is coming circulating through our minds in how to respond is how we can apply in this situation the Word of God. It is first in our hearts and then as we're going through life with our children since constantly the word of God is being churned in our hearts when we're everywhere we're implementing it it's in the front of our eyes it's it's on our doorposts I'm not talking about Christian decorations at home because often those things sicken me because it can become so focused on the aesthetics but the question I want to ask is is it that significant of a thing in your heart as it is on your wall? What matters is it's here. And that it is making its way outward. Here, you know, let me pause for a minute. I feel the need to say this. One of the biggest problems that I've seen with people and the reason why they don't study God's word is because they say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to study. I don't know how to study. I find that to be a super legitimate question. Honestly, I find that to be very legitimate because, you know, as your pastor, whenever I sit back and on, 
I usually try to take a lot of Mondays off, but when I sit on Tuesdays and I come into the office and I'm here, I've got a big 66 books here. And I'm thinking about Wednesday and I'm thinking about Sunday and other lessons or chapel service or deacons meetings. And I'm thinking about the word of God. And it's hard. There's a lot here. And sometimes, I don't say sometimes, the hardest thing as a preacher is determining for me, what do I preach on? Because sometimes it seems like an oasis and sometimes the Bible seems like a drought, to be honest with you. Your struggle is my struggle. But I also know I've got to get, I've got to find what God wants me to find. And I also know there are people who have experienced the same struggle and whom God has helped to guide to alleviate that struggle. In other words, this, there are people not knowing how to study the word of God is not an excuse to continue not to study the word of God. We are knit together for that purpose. If there's a weakness among us and you perceive a strength in somebody else and you say, you know, you seem to really have the word of God written deeply upon your heart. How did you do that? What do you do for your devotional studies? What do you do for your preparation to teach your children? How do you prepare for Sunday school? Because when I was in your Sunday school class, it was so helpful. We're in it together for that reason. I don't care how old you are and how long you've been in the church. If you don't have the word of God in your heart, when you're trying to instruct your children and grandchildren in the ways of God, it will not stick to the same degree than when it's in your heart. Here, he says it's everywhere. He tells us in verse 10, 11 what the result will be. And I'm going to begin to close here in just a moment. He basically says, if you do it, if you do this, you're going to prosper. And your children will prosper. And then he in verse 12, puts a warning. In a, in a fallen, sinful human mind, when we prosper at anything, what does your sinful mind tell you when you're prosperous? Look what I've done. Look what I've done. Recognize that. If you're prosperous in any way in life, Guard your heart from the inherent pride that exists in being prosperous. I'm not just talking about financially. What if your children are, are formed the way you want them to be? Is it not easy to look at parents whose children did not turn out the way yours did and say, well, have they just done this? And there is an inherent pride that can exist. But listen, accept the Lord take the things that we do in instructing our children and apply it to their hearts and open their hearts, even the best, most godly instruction in the world will do very little good. We need God's application. I felt all week as I've been thinking about our children here at the church. I know for a fact that Old Union has seen, and many of you in your lifetime have seen literally hundreds of kids come through this church. And there are more of them that are no longer here as adults than what are still here. So the question that's been funneling through my mind is, which of these kids do we want to lose? Like when we see these 15 or 17 kids come up here to sing, the next time you see them, ask yourself, well, if we took that one and that one and that one, we can just catch. None of us do that, right? We want all of them. And then we want their children. Not for self-serving reasons, 
for their good and for God's glory. We want them here. It's been going through my heart and mind all week. I want all these kids here. And so we do, we consider it from two perspectives. The first one is, how has God taught us to prepare our posterity? What can we do? But when we get to the end of our strength, even if we do every jot and tittle of what God's word has told us to do, accept God and intervene and open their hearts and make them receptive to what he says and what we're trying to do through his help, none of it will work. But with his help, it'll stick. You know, it's amazing to me is how small things, we, on Wednesday night, we watched a part of a documentary and Part of the documentary, this lady said, it's not always what kids experience, it's what they perceive that can have the influence. You recognize that? Like, have you ever looked back? I remember, I'll give you a brief example. When I was a kid, we lived in an apartment complex, and I thought it was huge, like the, where we played. And it's still in my mind, it is huge. 20, 22 or 23 years later, Kathleen and I, I think we only had one kid. We decided to go through Cleveland, Tennessee and stop at this apartment complex. <laughs> it is not huge at all, right? It is so small. And I still have a hard time reconciling that because I want it to be the way I imagined it. Right? We would play these games, these fort games where we'd have guns and we'd shoot. And it seemed like when a kid was on the other side that he was literally in a different country and we were fighting them. That's how it felt. And now I know he was like 40 yards right? It was nothing at all. But what matters to a kid or what, rather this, what can be so uh, impactful on a child is what they perceive to be the case. Take, for example, dad's temper. Dad can very rarely get a temper, but maybe one time when he does, it's very embellished in their mind. And now it's planted a seed that dad is angry and doesn't like me. And that sits with somebody for years. You know, it's amazing when you talk to older adults, how oftentimes the struggles they have today go way back to when they were just a kid. So what do we pray for? Oftentimes, you know what I pray for my children? Lord, help them to perceive the righteous things in me and not the unrighteous. Not for my sake, for their sake. Help them. When I do something wrong, and then I repent to them for it, and I say, listen, I did this wrong, and I'm sorry. Don't allow what I did wrong to be what was impressed upon them. Let the repentance, let them really be impressed on their heart. You know what? Dad's humble enough that he'll come and say, I was wrong, and I need help, or I need forgiveness, rather. One of the things we can pray for our children is that the right thing would be impressed upon them. Except the Lord builds the house. Here in verse 12, he says this. Beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from this house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people which are around about you. And it continues there for a moment. We'll get to the last thing and we're done. Here it says, when you see some progress with your children recognize from who it comes from it's from the Lord the final thing that he tells us in this chapter and the best summary of it is in chapter 7 look at verse 3 
How can we preserve our posterity and teach our children? This is not a popular one, but it's a true one right here over and over in the scriptures. Chapter 7, verse 3. Neither shalt thou make marriage with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his son shalt take unto thy son. You know what you can't do? You're going to preserve your posterity and teach your children. You can't let other people that don't share the same values that you do teach your children. It's not popular today, but it's true. Doesn't common sense teach us that too? Like even if we didn't have the word of God, doesn't it just make sense? If you allow other people to dominate your kid's mind and their example to turn in front of them all the time, who do you think is going to influence them more? They will. And if the last two generations in America have not proven that to be true, I don't know what will. It says, beware of your association. You know, as, as a parent, you ought to be very jealous with who your kids associate with. Now, here's the strange thing, and I don't know why this is the case, but it's been my experience growing up, that sometimes parents are hesitant to let God's people teach their kid, but they're generous to let the coach down the road teach their kid. You know, Brother Steve, in a deacon's meeting a month ago, I don't think he'll mind me sharing this, but I thought it was an excellent idea, and I think I've shared it in a sermon already once, but I feel the need to bring it up again. He talked about a man that would pick him up, from the church that he grew up in, and would take him on visits to a, a man that was blind, I believe it was. And I told you when I preached here a few, about a month ago, how impactful. You know, one of the things that I, I love about our kids coming to church here is that you can influence them in ways that I am not competent enough to. I have plenty of deficits. And no matter how holistically I try to get my children and impress upon them the right things, there are some things that they'll get a deficit if I'm depending upon me and Kathleen to do that. God has put us together. And it is a healthy, good thing for our children to be separate from the world, but shared among us. That one another can impress certain qualities. Some of my children will be more like some of you and have the strengths of some of you and need the spiritual mentorship of some of you more than they need mine in the work God is going to call them to. Other of my children may walk in my footsteps and I'll be a sufficient teacher to them in the ways that God is going to use them. Maybe not. So what do we do? We try to set up situations where our children can have an openness, can be impressionable from each other and not impressionable from the outside world. Think of it from a kid's perspective. My son's lives at this moment where they cannot interpret all the confusion and sin of the world is very protected. They have my influence, and if I'm, if I'm doing what God tells me to do, and you're doing what God tells you to do, then they see the word of God employed at church. They see it in their house. They see it in the milieu, in the middle of things going on. They see direct instruction coming. Then they come to an environment outside the home, and they're exposed to all of these people, listen to me this morning, that live the same way that it is at home. They see a consistency 
they see the value and importance. Hey, mom and dad must not be too crazy because everybody in my world lives this way. How do you, how do you impress upon a child? That's what verse 7, there's another sense in which the word means to impress something. I think of stamping something. Uh, I think uh, Sister Laura gave me one of those, I can't, what are they called? Where you, 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 what is it? What's that? Boxer. All right, and it, it, it stamps a certain logo or a, I don't remember what it's called, but it stamps that on a piece of paper. That's what I want with my children, for them to be stamped. And what does he tell us? And I'm closing this morning. This is what he says, the very beginning. I love you enough. Oh, how I want you and your children to be preserved forever. And he gives us this template. This morning, what I put before you is a monster responsibility as parents. But nonetheless, it's one that we aspire to and ask for God's grace to reach towards. That it would be in our hearts that we would consistently, by God's grace, diligently teach our children in these commandments that it would circulate. The love from within would make its way out and they would see it. Fathers, I'll put the onus on you. It starts with you. As the head of your home and the leader of your home, there is nothing emasculating or wrong with saying the way that things have been going in my home, I don't see it in this same pattern, but I want it. Asking people, I'm I'll put on a committee at the association for next year to write a subject about children. I was um, on the committee to select the people who were on it, and they threw me under the bus and put me on it. I didn't volunteer. They threw me on it. And they said, who do you want to work with? And I said, well, I don't really know many people down here. And so here was the rationale of, of the two men that I was working with. One of them said, you know, there's a brother at this church. Why don't we put him on it? He has five children that are grown. And they're all in church today. And all of their children are in church. And I thought, well, I don't know this man. But he sounds like somebody who's got something figured out. If you're a father and you're saying, you know what? Didn't have the greatest father figure growing up. Didn't have this pattern showed to me in my home. I don't know how to do it. Don't you think that the value of your children is enough and glorifying God in, in your home is enough to say, hey, brother, how do you remain consistent with your children? How did you, how did you deal with your children going through puberty? How did you handle the dating scene? How did you handle... All of these things that his parents go through. If that's not what we're together for, why are we together? It's these things, the heart of life that we go through together. And if we're just here to do the songs and do the, the transient surface level things, that's not why we're here. We're here for the deep stuff, for the hard stuff to help one another through these things. And I pray you'd have the humility to say, how do you deal with this? And then try it. And devote yourself to it. My prayer this morning is God in some way would impress that upon your hearts. Our children are too important. 
They're too important to fly by the seat of our pants and hope it works out or to throw together a little bit of what mom and dad did and a little bit of what we think and just hope it turns out. God thought it was important enough to give extensive instruction that I've only scratched the surface of this morning. I hope God would give us the grace to try and employ it. Teaching our children a high calling that I hope God will help us to do. That's our message this morning.